Welcome to Orphaned Entertainment, the podcast who for the past 10 years has dedicated itself to the discussion and review of public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me is the woman who has howled in more than a few dark woods. It's Lydia. Ah! Oh, that was more oh, like God. a scream, but <laughs> I was going to howl. I feel more like screaming for the moment. So scream it is. Hi. <laughs> that works too. How are you, Lydia? Wonderful oh, to speak with you. Yes, I'm always happy to be here. <laughs> uh, before we go any further, I want to first thank everyone else for tuning into this month's episode. Orphaned Entertainment is available wherever you like to get your podcasts and wherever you choose to listen. If you have the option to do so, please rate and review the show. It really does help get us out to more people. And another great way to help is just by sharing the episode you're listening to on whatever social media platforms you use. You can follow the link in the show notes to all our social media sites. You can find our YouTube channel and you can learn how you can support the show financially. If you'd like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record an audio message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. And we actually have another letter that I'm going to read out tonight. This is actually a second time this person's written in. Uh, this is Michael. If you remember, he's the one that suggested the uh, the Westerns, the, the Billy the Kid uh, cowboy films. Yes. Well, he has written again. This is Michael. He says, hello again. He says, this is a bit too long for you to read aloud on the podcast, so it's for your information only. Well, too bad, Michael. (laughs) That's not the way we roll here. (laughs) First of all, I loved Billy the Kid episode of your podcast. Thanks a bunch for creating it, partner. You mentioned perhaps skipping ahead to the final Bob Steele episode for a much later podcast, but in all honesty, I think you should try one of the Buster Crab episodes instead. When he appeared in the series, his dynamic screen presence added a whole new level of fun. Bob Steele was somewhat dry and anonymous, whereas Buster Crab was an undeniable star. Hmm. I haven't been able to get a clear answer as to why the title character suddenly changed names from Billy the Kid Bonnie to Billy Carson after 19 episodes, but as you said in the podcast episode, perhaps it dawned on the producers that the original Billy the Kid was in fact a murderer and notorious outlaw (laughs) and not someone the children should look up to. Just maybe. (laughs) In any case, the name change was the only difference between the two series. Everything else remained the same. Some episodes gave us all-out action and adventure like Border Bad Men, and some were comedies like Ghosts of Hidden Valley. Some were dramatic like His Brother's Ghost, and some even had spooky elements like Wild Horse Phantom. And he lists his personal favorites among those starring Buster Crab are Fugitive of the Plains. But he says, unfortunately, the only print available that he's found on YouTube is awful. So we might have to dig a little bit more on that one. He also recommends uh, Frontier Outlaws, His Brother's Ghost, Fighting Bill Carson, and Ghosts of Hidden Valley. Hidden Valley is my number one favorite because of the fun fish-out-of-water scenario. But I have a sneaking suspicion your co-host might need a tetanus shot due to the many slapstick elements. (laughs) I appreciate humor. (laughs) Also, if you ever need to fill an unexpected gap in your great show, you should check out another B-Western called Ride'em Cowgirl, starring Dorothy Page, Lynn Mayberry, and Filton Frome. It's actually a contemporary western set in 1939 that has those newfangled automobiles as well as horses. 
Back in the late 1930s, Dorothy Page made three westerns as the singing cowgirl, but the matinee audience of the time simply weren't ready for a western heroine and, lust sta- and thus stayed away in spite of the high quality of the movies. That was a little before the Bechdel test, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. The story may be on the slight side, but what sets it apart is the zinging dialogue and the great chemistry between the female leads. Lynn Mayberry was a fabulous physical comedian, and she steals much of the movie as the comic relief. Yes, a female comic relief in the 1930s. Hey, Ginger Rogers was. Everybody overlooks Ginger Rogers. She's hilarious. Uh, He goes on, there couldn't have been too many of those back then, which only makes it more modern and fresh when viewed today. Well, with the exception of Ginger Rogers, obviously. (laughs) No, no, I'll I'll concede that point. (laughs) He says, I can definitely recommend Ride'em Cowgirl, and it is available on YouTube. Well, thank you very much, Michael, for reading that in, and I uh, hope, <laughs> hope you don't mind that I went ahead and read that whole thing. But it yeah. was a great letter, and I really appreciate uh, you writing it in. Oh, I love all of the recommendations, too. I like you Absolutely. Know, we're, we don't want to do a whole year of cowboy movies in deference to some of our listeners, I think. But at the same time, I love hearing all the different recommendations, because there definitely are people that are really excited about, you know, a whole, a whole week of cowboy movies or a whole month of cowboy movies. And while we don't have the format here to be able to do that, that I, I know there are people that are going to be really excited to do that or to look yeah. into those. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, even if they aren't uh, films that we review and discuss here on the show, they might be films that people now that they know about or maybe they, you know, maybe they didn't hear about or mm-hmm. they had only heard but never really had any recommendations to go watch it are now hearing this and going, oh, okay, cool. I'll go yeah. check those out. <laughs> but when we start the Billy the Kid podcast, you will all know about it and, <laughs> yeah, and it'll be your cowboy movies. <laughs> absolutely. We really do appreciate the film uh, recommendations. We get yeah. the, the occasional emails, and uh, you know sometimes you have to do a little digging to find out whether the films are truly public domain or not. And um, I, I forgot that actually, Hotel for Women was a, a listener recommendation. Oh, yeah, that I forgot a, that as well. Yeah, that was a letter that was sent in, and that's where that's how that one ended up on our list. And I'm very thankful that yeah, it was. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, any other recommendations, uh, Michael? Anybody else? Uh, please send them. Send them our way. We we love getting them. Well, that let's listen to an Ellery Queen one minute mystery and a promo for another podcast. And when we return, we go snooping for the secret of 1947's The Red House. Ellery Queen's minute mysteries. This is Ellery Queen with the case I call the Wheel of Fortune. An amusement park operator came to me with the glad news he was going to buy the plans of the original Ferris wheel built for the Paris Exposition in 1889. The same exposition where the Eiffel Tower was introduced and constructed on the site of his own park. Let me see the plans, I said, and it's a good thing I did. In spite of a clever job of printing and drawing, I told my friend the Paris plans for the Ferris wheel were pure fake. In a moment, I'll tell you why. The best of the best and the worst of the worst and the one where all the characters curse. Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic, IMDb, and Letterboxd all want to stick a simple rating on what we watch. But where's the nuance in that? A popular movie doesn't always age well, and who cares if the critics didn't like it? We here at Good Movie, Bad Movie believe every film has an audience. So join us for the good, the bad, and the so bad it's good, such as The Godfather. Back to the Future. Gigli. Jaws. Young Frankenstein. Manos, The Hands of Fate. Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And Plan 9 from Outer Space. 
New episodes every other Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Instagram at GoodMovieBadMoviePod or write to us at GoodMovieBadMoviePod at gmail.com. Or join us on our Discord server by searching Good Movie, Bad Movie. The cream of the crop and the box office flops. of the Wheel of Fortune. The original Ferris wheel was built in the United States by none other than G.W. Ferris of Galesburg, Illinois. The swindler is spinning his wheels in prison. Listen again to Ellery Queen's Minute Mysteries. The Red House is a film noir from 1947, directed by Delmer Daves and starring Edward G. Robinson, Lon McAllister, Judith Anderson, and Aileen Roberts. The film is based on the novel The Red House by George Agnew Chamberlain. Chamberlain. This is the first production for Edward G. Robinson and film producer Sol Lesser's company, Thalia Productions. The story follows a reclusive farmer named Pete who lives with his sister Ellen and their adopted daughter Meg. When they hire a school friend of Meg's, Nath, to help f- around the farm, Nath and Meg get curious about a mysterious red house in the woods. Pete becomes uneasy and forbids them from going anywhere near there. However, Meg and Nath, along with Nath's girlfriend, Tibby, begin to investigate the Red House, and on doing so, they threaten to uncover dark secrets that may destroy everyone's lives. Now, I believe we spoke to some length about Edward G. Robinson when we we reviewed 1945's Scarlet Street back Mm -hmm. in July of 2021. Mm -hmm. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. Absolutely, yeah. I can't believe that's already two years ago. I, I was just thinking that when you said the date, I thought, how? <laughs> I was sure it was just last year. Mm-hmm. This film has a couple stars with relatively short careers. Lon McAllister began his career at the age of 13 and appeared in about 48 films and was fairly successful and well-liked well by fans and critics of the time, but retired from acting at the age of 30 and became a successful real estate manager. In a 1992 interview, McAllister said, Being a movie star was great, but I never considered doing it for a lifetime. I wanted to be myself, to go where I please without causing a traffic jam. I've succeeded in this, and I'm happy. Good for him. Yeah, absolutely. I I love when you see someone with a short career, but it's because they wanted it, and it's not because of studio issues or their careers just petering out. They just Mm -hmm. decided, eh, that was fun, but I'm off to do something else. Yeah, I read a little bit more about him, and I think he had, I think he sounds like a pretty interesting person. There's definitely some interesting Hollywood backstory there. But, um, and then I think he, I believe I read that he passed away in 2005. But uh, he, he does a good job in this movie. He definitely, uh, I, I guess I read too that he's uh, only 5'6", which is, I think, my height or an inch shorter. And uh, I thought, oh, Wow, they like he looks tall in it, which means that the girls in this must be tiny. <laughs> both uh, both Aileen Roberts and Julie London of the famed Julie London, the singer Julie London, who yeah. sang Crimea River and other things as well, mm-hmm. um, in, in who plays Tibby. Like they look like I wouldn't say like petite next to him, but they look normal height. So she right. he must they must be tiny tiny people. <laughs> You definitely see that when uh, Tibby is talking to Rory Calhoun and Nicole, or sorry, to Teller. The character's name is Teller in a couple of spots. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, when he towers over her. Oh, he's, right. Yeah, massive. 
Yeah, I think I did remember that um, McAllister, because of his height, found it difficult to find work as an adult. And and his boyish looks, I think I read that yeah. as well. Yeah, you get to a point. <laughs> There's a, a modern actor that makes me think of that. I'm thinking at some point he's going to, like, he's definitely going to be typecast. But, yeah, you, you get typecast when you have certain physiological aspects, right? You yeah. have the dark hair. You're going to be the femme fatale. You've got, you know, the boyish face. You're always going to be the, the, you know, innocent, you know, love interest or whatever. But you're not going to get the real, probably not, I should say, probably not going to get the real dramatic roles you know especially not during this era i think that's more common now yeah yeah you don't want to be the 30 year old playing the high school teen why not everybody else does (laughs) (laughs) yeah the 50s was rife with that sort of thing but i I can imagine there were some people that went yeah that's not me (laughs) yeah yeah definitely well and then you know our last for with hotel for women we were both shocked she was 15 14 13 15 15 15 yeah and she looked and we were both of us blown away by that. So it's funny. I guess it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aileen Roberts won the America's Most Charming Child contest, sponsored by the New York Daily Mirror, and received $1,000 in cash and a $1,000 contract with Warner Brothers Studio. She appeared in 12 movies between 1947 and 1954. Uh, the Red House was her debut. She also appeared on television, but then she, too, just left acting. Not as uncommon when it comes to the young female stars, because those are the ones often that you know they get married and of because it it, it is of the time you know they oh, get the married time. and yes. yeah they raise kids that yeah. sort of thing. Yep. Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> yes, in this time that was much more common. <laughs> yes. Now Julie London, as you you brought her up just a minute ago, she plays Tibby Rinton. Uh, she was. Born in Santa Rosa, California, to vaudevillian parents, and uh, she was discovered while working as an elevator operator in a downtown Los Angeles. How interesting. Uh, She began her career, which lasted 35 years. She made her film debut while still in high school in 1944's Nabonga. She worked for Warner Brothers, was offered a contract at Universal, but turned it down to focus on her marriage to actor Jack Webb. And then after her divorce from Webb around 1954, she returned to acting, working for 20th Century Fox. About that time, she began a singing career. Her debut album, Julie Is Her Name, was released in December of 55, and Billboard named her the most popular female vocalist for 1955, 56, and 57. London also continued to appear in films with lead roles in Crime Against Joe in 1956 and appeared as herself in The Girl Can't Help It, also in 56. And in that, she performs three songs, including Cry Me a River, which was her most popular single. box office success and became one of the top 30 highest grossing films of 56. That's not a 
I, you know, I, I wrote that in there, and now that I read it back, is like the top 30. That's like that's someone struggling really hard to make something sound special. Well, I mean, they were making more movies per year then than they make now. <laughs> that's still, good point. Yeah, there but still go. top 30. Eh, okay. Respectable. London appeared on numerous television series in the 1960s, including guest appearances on Rawhide, uh, Lar- Laramie, I Spy, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and The Big Valley. London remained close with her ex-husband Jack Webb, and in 1972 he cast her and husband Bobby Troop in his television series Emergency, of which he was executive producer. London played Dixie McCall, and Troop was cast as emergency room physician Dr. Joe Early. Judith Anderson appears in this film. Uh, we may touched on we may have touched on her a little bit when we talked about the strange love of Martha Ivers and get this way back in 2017. Mm-hmm. It's been a long bit. She's one of those faces though. You see her in something and you never forget her. The Strange Love of Martha Ivers was a kind of a star-packed film, so we may have not mentioned her. Well, Dame Judith Anderson, she was created a Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire in 1960 was an Australian-born actress who had a career in stage, film, and television. In her career, she won two Emmys, a Tony, and was also nominated for a Grammy Award and an Academy Award. She's considered one of the 20th century's greatest classical stage actors. It, you have to point out, she played Mrs. Danvers in the 1940 Rebecca, and she is chilling. She's just phenomenal in it. Absolutely. You are definitely jumping ahead of my notes. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I like to sound smart every once in a while. (laughs) Anderson tried at first unsuccessfully to pursue a career outside of Australia, but after touring with several stage companies, she finally made her way to Broadway and and then made her feature film debut in 1933's Blood Money. She made several more films, but returned primarily to Broadway. It was in 1940 that really put her name on the cinematic map when she starred in Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca as housekeeper <laughs> Mrs. Danvers. And this is the role that got her the nomination for Best Supporting Actress. Should yeah, she should. She deserved it for sure. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I watched that film when, I'm, as, when I was in high school, and yeah, I still remember how, oh, I mean, she was, ah, can't say the <laughs> word I'm like, thinking. Ah. <laughs> it's the word of the day, ah, <laughs> Again, bouncing from screen to stage and eventually back to screen and taking on more supporting roles, she continued to work on stage and screen well into the 70s and even appeared as the Vulcan priestess in Star Trek III The Search for Spock. Yeah, that's so funny. Obviously the highlight of her career. The highlight of her career. <laughs> so yeah, we've got some very interesting mix of, uh, of actors in, in, this, in this film this it's, month. It's a great roster. It really is. And... It's it's interesting how these people interact in this movie, how these actors interact in this movie. It's such a it's it's kind of a weird spread because you have these the high schoolers, and I think they mentioned at one point that um, Meg, played by Eileen, is or um, sorry Eileen is fifteen. They they say she's fifteen, and then you've got. Pete and Ellen, who are her adopted parents that are, you know, in their 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever it is. Hard to tell. Yeah, they're they're, they're reclusive (laughs) farmers. They they could be 20. They could be 60. No idea. Yeah, but then you also have, so Nath's mother, he basically tells her, Mother, you've spent enough of your life on me. Go marry the guy that you've always wanted to marry. And it's really interesting. Usually, I think, 
in this type of a movie, they tend to focus everything kind of on the young people. And then, especially during this era, you, you if it's a story with young people in it, then all the action kind of revolves around the young people. And the old people are kind of the, oh, standing off on the side, patting each other on the back. Oh, all right, son, it's going to be fine. And in this, it's not like that. There's two very separate, well, I mean, they're intertwined, but they're very different kind of dramas going on. And it's a very, it's kind of a widespread of ages. This was an interesting film, I think, for us, for the show, because it's been a while since we've had kind of a dark thriller to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, many of our films lately have been rather on the light fare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was real interesting to sit down and watch this, and you're sitting there, and I mean, you feel like this film feels a little bit like a weight just because the story is, it, it's, it's got this foreboding feel and it's, mm-hmm. you know, very it's, impressive. it's shark. And there, there's moments where very, very dark, you know, when you're in the woods and, and you got the mystery and you're wondering what in the world is really going on. And I'm like, yeah. wow, this, we haven't watched one of these in a while. <laughs> I, I didn't look into it at all before I started watching it. I like to go into things cold. <laughs> And I like to go into it and then just have the crud scared out of me. Uh, and they, about, tw- I forget if it's about 20 minutes in, it, there's a point where all of a sudden, like, it's real windy outside. Nat mm-hmm. says he's going to go home. Pete chases him out of the house saying, don't go that way. It's kind of late, so I thought I'd take a shortcut through Oxhead Woods. You know your way through those woods? No, but the wind's cleared the sky. Well, I'd take the long way around if I were you. I've owned the Oxhead Woods for years, and I'm as brave as the next man, but I wouldn't cross through those woods at night. Woods haven't scared me since I was a kid, day or night. Yes, but you said you didn't know Oxhead Woods. A tree's a tree, and a trail's a trail. The trails lead nowhere. Let the boy go, Pete. I don't want him to get lost. Close the door, Pete. Because it comes out of nowhere. Oh, it totally. It, I'm actually getting chills right now just talking about it. You're right. Everything up to that point is so mundane and so just normal. And then all of a sudden, here's Edward G. Robinson screaming, you'll never you'll never run away from the screams. And I'm like, I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the end. They're coming for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally had chills even talking about it just now. It's no surprise that Nath gets in the middle of the woods and... The wind's howling through the trees, and you think you hear screams, and it's like, yep, I'm out of here. I'm going back. <laughs> yep, not sticking around here at all. Yeah, and there's that. I, I think there's a real good moment there. I missed it the first time I watched it. I, I think I didn't have my screen bright enough. <laughs> but the second time I watched it, I really noticed him. There, you know, he he says, Pete says the footbridge is broken, mm-hmm. and Nath says I'll jump it. You know, I'll jump the creek. And and then, you know, and this whole thing is going on and Pete's trying to convince him not to go. 
and and Nath gets to the footbridge and it is actually broken. And it's interesting because I think up until that point, I thought, oh, no, Pete's not telling the truth. And then it was like, oh, no, it's actually broken. And you see Nath standing at the over this bridge, like deciding if he's going to jump or not. And oh, I got chills just saying that, too. <laughs> I'm lots of chills. And he's just and he's on the verge of jumping. And it's like, oh, it, I it's it's this really intense moment and he turns and he runs away mm-hmm. and I love that. And, and then he, you know, he goes back to safety and then I love that the next day he says, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to walk back. So I know my way in the daytime. And he gets to that same footbridge and he crosses over the Creek and he goes up to the exact place that he was and he looks down and then he does jump and then he comes back around. It's just this moment of like, him proving that there's nothing to be afraid of to himself it's just it's just such an interesting it, it, to me it's a brilliant piece of direction it's a brilliant piece of storytelling because they don't tell you anything from it they don't say after that day Nath never was afraid of the woods again right <laughs> you're just seeing him overcoming the thing that he was terrified of the day before um and, and it you know rightly or wrongly and it, it, it's just, I, I can't wait to talk about the director on this. <laughs> Writer-director on this. But I just, it was, it's, yeah, it definitely took a dark turn very, very abruptly. You know, there's so much that goes on in this film. You've got um, an obvious kind of um, romance or an unrequited romance from um, Meg. She mm-hmm. obviously has a crush on Nath. Mm-hmm. But Nath seems to only have eyes for Tibby. <laughs> and, and Tibby has eyes only for herself. <laughs> yes. Oh, well put. <laughs> and then Teller likes Tibby, too. Wow, that mm-hmm. was a lot of alliteration. <laughs> yeah. And um, you do have the, the relationship between Nathan and his mother. Yeah. And it is, yeah, it is, you know, she's obviously um, likely a widow. Yes. Uh, I'm going to guess for 1947, so, it's not yeah. going to be a divorce. It's going to be a, a case of widow, maybe uh, a war widow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. That's a good point. And, you know, she's raised Nath as best she could running a store that no one shops at. <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it's interesting. Ellen's not in, an, in a dissimilar position. She gave up her life, her potential marriage with Dr. Byrne, I think is who mm-hmm. it's called, to stay with Pete when Pete lost his leg and take care of her brother. And so you've got a lot of women making sacrifices in this movie. There's a lot, lot of women making sacrifices in this movie. It's a little subtle in that, for the most part in the film, especially when you talk about Ellen and Dr. Byrne. Mm -hmm. It it, it doesn't really come out until the very end of the film that there was something, but you get a hint of it Mm -hmm. uh, with just, just small lines and, you know, looks and the way people react when someone says something mm-hmm. i think when when doctor comes to check on um check on check on meg after mm-hmm. she had uh, broken her leg and he's like oh is uh, is ellen around and you know it, you could just see uh pete sort of stiffen up at the mm-hmm. even suggest at the suggestion mm-hmm. and yeah she's not available she's not here oh well tell her i said hi but she you is know. there isn't she yeah I she remember is. right yeah she's like listening from the window Mm-hmm. But she doesn't run out and say, oh, no, no, I'm here. So there's that tension. They held yeah. that tension really well. I mean, you were talking about the, uh, the director. Mm. Yeah, he does a, really a masterful job of really keeping you on the edge. Mm-hmm. Because uh, you're kind of 
this film sort of builds up to the point where you're waiting you you're waiting for that for the release and mm-hmm. it it takes its time before it gives you that mm-hmm. it really does yeah there is a point in the film where i was concerned that it starts out kind of like wow what's going on with pete and the, the screaming about you know the the wind and the, the and the howling and everything and then it sort of turns into almost I feel like it's like a uh, Nancy Drew Hardy Boy <laughs> mystery for a little while. Well, I mean, they're the right age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be Nancy Drew and, and Ned. <laughs> yeah, and I was really concerned that, like, wow, is this film really going to start letting me down from this point on with just us following the, come on, Scooby gang? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the point for me where it turned is when uh, Teller, Teller ends up... Uh, stopping Timmy. He's obviously very interested in her and he carries her across the creek and I would say sort of forces a kiss on her. I wouldn't exactly say she resists. No. Um, (laughs) But, but, and then she runs off and then within a few seconds there's a gunshot and so, and then he starts running and I thought, she hasn't been gone long enough to get shot. What the heck happened? And then it turns out he's running over to talk to Pete. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it starts picking up again. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, okay, okay. So then it turns out Pete is hired teller to keep people out of the woods. Why does Pete need people to stay out of the woods? What's going on? It's so, there's there's this back and forth where you have moments of thinking Pete is totally off his nut, screaming at a kid don't take, don't go through the woods, don't go through the woods. And then the next morning he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and you're, and you really, I had one moment where I thought maybe he has a twin brother living in the woods. It's crazy. <laughs> like really, I thought yeah. that. Um, I, I just wouldn't have put it past it. But uh, it, it's interesting to me. I think Teller himself is not a super interesting character. He's not a super disinteresting character. He's He's interesting, but... You know, ninth grade, he's, high he's school heavy. dropout. Yeah. He's, he's the film's heavy. But he's yeah. also got, he's got plans. You know, he's he's got plans enough to come up with some money. And he's very direct in what he wants. Yeah. But where, he, where he got that money isn't yes. explained. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. I'm, and I'm guessing some of it, maybe not through the best of Yes. Yeah. That's, that's my guess as well. But... It is also interesting because he sort of gets dragged into Pete's mania without understanding that it's mania. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I, I almost feel bad for his character because, you know, they do mention that he, she, Tibby says, you never made it past the ninth grade. And I think at that point, I just thought, oh, that's just an insult. But I think honestly that that sounds like the more you know about the story, the more you go, oh, he really is the guy that's not like, super educated or intelligent and he may not really get what's going on here no i have a feeling that um pete gave him the rights to the land to hunt and to keep other people off that land but with no real explanation yes as to why which is interesting because i would think i i did have one moment this is probably the only hole in the story for me why was Pete not worried Teller would find the house? Yeah, that's a good question. I was just wondering about that myself because I'm guessing he probably never even told Teller about the red house. But you'd think if Teller's wandering these woods, he would stumble across it. Yeah, and, he, and he's so concerned. It, it, I suppose that probably you could read that at the point that Nath shows up and 
Pete starts to feel like his relationship with Meg is challenged, then things start to really slip for him. Mm-hmm. Maybe up until that moment, he wasn't as concerned about other people finding the house as long as it wasn't Meg or right. somebody that was going to get real curious. Maybe that's the appeal of Teller is that he's not real curious. I'm guessing that if you pay him a dollar, he's happily going to look the other way. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's where he got his, that's where he got his money. $750. <laughs> right. He's just looked the other way 750 times. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I also really appreciated that we don't know why Pete's relationship with Meg is threatened. Yes. Early not on. At first. We don't really understand. Is it just a overprotective adopted father, you know, figure? Or is there something else? And yeah, it it, it doesn't give it it doesn't give you all the answers right away. I mm-hmm. mean, you really gotta get to the end of the film before you go. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And then you go, oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Like, yeah. there is, I know there's a moment, and, and I don't think I'm giving too much away in this. I know there's a moment where Ellen says to Meg, has, has Pete ever laid hands on you? Mm-hmm. And you can hear that line many different ways. And I think they're all correct. <laughs> Meg. What's the matter, child? I don't know. Just heartsick, I guess. You miss Nath, don't you? Yes. And something's wrong here. I don't know what it is. Wrong in what way? Ellen, who is Jeannie? Where did you hear that name? Pete's called me that several times, and when he does, I'm afraid. When has he called you that name? Up in my room when my leg was hurt, and out by the pond. Has Pete ever laid hands on you? No. Why do you ask that? Finish the dishes, dear. Yeah. Yes. Ellen about has a heart attack at just hearing her name. Yeah. <laughs> what the heck is going on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and Pete talking about screaming why did she have to scream she didn't have to scream and it's really interesting i'm and i'm going to try really hard not to give anything away <clears throat> he says this is going to be hard not to give anything away <laughs> uh he's talking about you know obviously something bad happened in the red house we know that <laughs> that doesn't doesn't take a lifetime of cinematography to <laughs> know that something bad happened there but um but you at first it really sounds like it was. It sounds like it was all the other guy's fault, right? Sure. And you know, nothing's ever all the other guy's fault. I mean, well, almost nothing is ever all the other guy's fault. So it is. It is interesting though, because you start like you you see that Pete's a real sympathetic character. Like you, I mean, he's he's got the missing leg, and he's adopted. You know, this girl taking care of her. You know, and presumably taking care of his sister, too, and, you know, has just lived a real quiet life and is trying to save Nath from going into the dangerous woods. And they set him up as a very, a very, like, um, kind character, as a very, you know, they they use the term petting the dog, right? <laughs> he's, he's 
they have him pet the dog so many times that you think he's just got to be the good guy. But then he's also Edward G. Robinson, who just looks kind of evil. <laughs> and so it is a slow burn. But I think that they go out of their way to set up false expectations, too. Yeah, I can see that. Well, and that is also probably what helps keep the audience on edge, because you're expecting something. You're expecting one thing to happen in this next scene. And that scene doesn't happen. Multiple times. Right, yes, throughout the film. And then when the things really start happening, maybe they're what you were expected, maybe not. Mm -hmm. I was definitely not expecting what happened. (laughs) I was going to say, I wasn't expecting, and then I thought, no, I'll just leave it there. I concur. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is a very difficult one to talk about without spoiling. Because so much of what's important happens at the part where you don't want to spoil. Right. That yes. explains all the bits ahead of that part. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Yes, it, it is a slow burn. And, it's, and it's, it is like a fuse. I, this movie is laid out like, like dynamite. It's got this long fuse. And then it gets to the end and it is just one massive explosion in like five minutes. It's, a, it's a, an hour and 40 minutes long. Is that right? Yes, and correct. almost all the action happens in like the last five minutes. And there's five, ten, yeah. so much of it that you're like, whoa. Yeah, that was my impression of how I reacted when I saw this movie. Yeah. Whoa. No, the, the, the last 10 minutes of the film, by the time it's done, you, you're, you find yourself short of breath. Yes. That's how fast everything happens. Definitely. And and as suspense goes, it's excellent. I mean, there's yeah. just over and over where you're like, is he, isn't he, is she, isn't she? Like, you know, it, there's a scene in near the middle, I think, where uh, Nath and Tibby and Meg are walking around the woods trying to find the Red House because they've heard of the Red House and now they want to mm-hmm. know what it is. And uh, Tibby's being her typical self and Nath is kind of, you know, soothing her. And and Meg gets this look. Another dead end. They're all dead ends. I'm hot. goose chase for four solid hours find your haunted house on your own time you're on my time now or have you forgotten we had a date to go swimming this afternoon just the two of us remember let's go back to the farm kids the sun will be just right for swimming and they do an excellent job with the sound cues here there's kind of a a mystical quality to the sound that it it's not quite music but it's kind of like an alluring kind of singing and she genuinely like up until this point I think in this movie I've thought oh she's just a doughy-eyed girl that they grabbed off the you know they were like oh you'll do good to look with moon eyes at Nath you know so that you work you guys look right together so up until then she's just making big cow eyes at him and then at that point 
when she like just looks off and it's weird like it's a long enough shot of her and it's a very long shot that I actually thought oh did my did it pause but there was still movement on the screen I thought oh it did like did something mess up but watching it the second time her and and understanding what's going on (laughs) I was like oh wow she's like it's her expression in that moment is I can't explain it. It's just everything it should be. It's yeah. like, it's like surprised and afraid and intrigued and drawn. It's such a complex kind yeah. of look. And she does it one other time too. Um, I don't remember. Oh, I, the, she does it when she actually finds what they've been looking for. Uh, and before, before all of before the escalation the rise in action uh she she does it again and it is it's a face where if i were talking to a friend and i turned and i saw that look on her face i would immediately get chills and be like what is wrong yeah like oh it's so unsettling no it's 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 a look that a person gets when they they want to go forward and all they can think of is I have to run the other direction. Yes. Or they want to run the other direction, but they're being inexorably drawn forward. Yes. It's that terror of enthrallment. Oh, mm-hmm. great word. <laughs> great word, Lydia. Oh, thanks. I agree. It is. It's yeah. It's, and it's interesting because up until kind of that point, you know, you, you said that she was, she won the, the was the cutest child in America. Was that it? Yeah, something was along his lines. Appealing yeah. child or something like that. And you're like, yeah, I mean, that's why she got cast. Why she got cast in this? But then she actually managed. I, and I don't. I think it must be. You have to chalk it at least partly up to the director, right? Because the director could have looked at her and said, no, show more fear, show more fear, you know. But right. instead, it was like, no, hold that. Like, there's something there. You don't know what it is. You're terrified to turn around. That's what it is. It's the face of, I'm. there's something behind me, and I cannot turn around to see what it is. Like, oh, I've got chills saying that even. There's nothing behind me, right? <laughs> That's a very good description. Oh, I like that. When yeah. you, you know there's something terrible behind you. And yeah, but, and you yeah. don't, if you look, it'll make it real. As long as you don't look, maybe it'll leave you alone. I've got chills just saying that. Yes. Now I do, too. I just, the hair <laughs> yeah, on my arms just went up. Okay. <laughs> That's the worst. There's nothing behind you either you're good <laughs> i mean let's talk about let's talk about tibby she's <laughs> let's talk about tibby <laughs> julie london amazing singing voice <laughs> she is interesting she is the most in this movie her character not her personally but the character is the most unappealing pretty girl i've ever seen uh she's she is sex on a stick can I say oh, that? Oh, yeah. Yep, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she is just, and she is, I, I appreciate that at one point she says to Nath, he says, why do you always think people have an ulterior motive? And she says, I have an ulterior motive. I always do. And mm-hmm. I and I like that she's telling the truth. She's not oh, saying she, that just to flirt. She is completely honest yeah. throughout this entire film. I mean, yeah. she has no interest in being a farm girl. Yeah. As yeah. soon as she finds a, a, a road out of this town, she's, she's on it. it. Yeah. It, it's, it's almost bizarre. Like she definitely does this where she's, you know, tugging Nath and Teller both along. She's playing them against each other a little bit. Right. Up until a certain point. Um, and you kind of get the idea that she, 
I wonder, rather than saying you get the idea, I'm going to say, I wonder if she ever really thinks she'll be happy with Nath. Yeah, see, I'm not so sure. I think she legitimately likes Nath. Nath, Nath. Nath. No, it's Nath. I'm saying it wrong again, dang it. I think she legitimately likes Nath. She thinks he's going to be her ticket out of the town. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly why. I think it's just because it's just young love and they don't really know each other. Yeah, yeah. And so she thinks that he's going to want the same thing she does or she's he's just going to want to please her and take her out of this town to she go to the big city that. or yeah, something. Yeah, she even says, aren't I worth working for? Yeah, absolutely. And as, when it comes to Teller, I think she just likes the attention mm-hmm. that he gives her. I think she really doesn't think he's going to go anywhere with his life. And I think you see that switch when she asks Na- uh, Nath. <laughs> she asks Nath, she says, um, have, how much money have you saved? And he says, none. And she says, not even $750. And he says, mm-hmm. not even $750. Cents. And, and that's pretty much the end of the scene, but you see her calculating. She starts to do the calculations. And at that point, it's not a surprise what happens after that. But it is... I think, I think it's interesting to see the process and see her mental process, which they do a great job of showing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. From the very, her very opening scene, when we are first introduced to her on the bus on the way home from school, I mean, you get a pretty good picture of what kind of person this girl is. Yes. <laughs> are we going swimming Sunday? Sure, if I'm not needed at the store. Why are you changing your swimming trunks? Maybe I'll wear them over. No. Bring him. We'll change at the reservoir. Who else is coming? Just us. Oh, and the way she looks, yeah. it's like... And I'm like, she's a high schooler! Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, yeah, this is exactly... This is not the kind of look I should no. be getting from a girl that's coming no. home from high school. I mean, uh, if you're my, Matthew McConaughey, maybe, but... That was the movie <laughs> all right, reference. All right, all right, Yeah, they, I keep getting older, they stay the same. <laughs> yes, okay. Thank you. Sorry, guys. That was not a slur against Matthew McConaughey. I don't know. <laughs> I got the reference. Thank you. <laughs> I don't make a lot of modern movie references, but that one just popped in my head. And she is a great example in this movie of exactly what he's talking about. It's just, uh, yeah, apparently I was a super innocent high schooler, but oh, my voice just cracked. Apparently, <laughs> high schooler. <laughs> my voice is changing. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Titty's interesting. And it is funny when I saw the credits when it first starts, of course, they, you know, it's a, it's a 40s movie, so they do all the actors up front. And I saw Julie London, and I thought, oh, how weird, another Julie London. And then I thought, I wonder if that is another Julie London. It's the Julie London. And it's it's phenomenal to see her, in, especially at this age, so young, to see her in this movie. She's so interesting. And it's fun, just in the film, uh, having the two, effectively the two female leads, uh, the young female leads anyway, being such polar opposites from each other. But they, but they're, you know, you have the same thing with Nathan McTeller, too. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. But there is that still, there, there is still that, I mean, when they're on the bus and uh, uh, Meg is sitting just on the other side of Nath as <laughs> Tibby's pretty much saying, we're going to get naked this Sunday. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And he, after uh, Tibby gets off the bus, you see Meg and she's, she's uncomfortable 
A, because she's nervous because she wants to tell Nath something that, you know, she's got this plan formula head, but she's playing with, like, the, the tie mm-hmm. on her dress. And you almost think that a little bit like she's wondering, if I didn't have this tied, would he be interested in me? Oh, <laughs> interesting. No, you're a guy. I definitely didn't think that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I did just have an interesting thought, though, talking about the contrasting characters. There yeah. is a lot of that in here. So you've got the contrast between Meg and Tibby. And then you've got the contrast between, I think, um, Ellen and also Nate's uh, mom. Because they are both in they are both in the same situation. They have given up their lives up to this point to take care of a man that they care about. Mm-hmm. But there's a man on the sidelines that loves them and is ready to marry them. Right. And the difference in their choices, how they choose to, you know, what they choose to do is dramatic. The outcome is so dramatically different. Also, the difference. So you've got Nathan, you've got Pete. They both have the option to tell that person in their life that's been there for them. I want you to be happy. Nath does. Pete doesn't. And the outcome is dramatically different. It's interesting. I didn't think about it while I was watching it. But now going through and looking at like all of these different characters, how they, you know, how they contrast with each other and what they choose. It's it's interesting. You're getting it's it's it's. Um, if, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Sliding Doors, but it's like like the the idea is if you miss you know a cab or if you miss a train, how does your life change from that day forward? And it's basically this is just showing both sides, but with different people. It's pretty interesting. It, I hadn't made those parallels until you said that, but now I want to go back watching it even more closely with that in mind. We are very lucky that the quality of this film is immaculate very compared good. to uh, a lot of the films that we have watched. Mm-hmm. It looks fantastic, but there is a part of me that really appreciates the black and white and what that can do to a film like this. Mm-hmm. But since it's called The Red House... <laughs> Did you find the colorized version? There is, <laughs> is a colorized is version. Is there? No, I have not. I am going to tell you guys, because I love you, the house is not red in the colorized version. <laughs> what? It's not red. And I. the roof isn't red. The stones aren't red. I'm so confused. The door is not even red. So how do you I miss really that? Excited. Yeah, it's really <laughs> it's one of those things. So the the colorized version is uh, pre Technicolor. It's not. It doesn't look like Technicolor to me. It looks like a two color. Um, it definitely is because it's real washed and, and real real sepia. Uh, um, but it is interesting having watched the black and white version and then finding that colorized version. There are. There's just more detail that you can see with the color added in um, that you can't see with the black and white. But you're exactly right. The black and white makes it, I mean, I want to say creepier, but it it just makes it feel more, um, oh, there's a word for it. Sinister. Sinister? Sinister is good. Sinister. Yeah. It does make it feel more sinister. It's just that with the the red house being the focus, <laughs> everything's about the red house. I I honestly I was I was thinking this is going to be one of those films where they like added a, a little bit of color, a sheen, yeah, right, just just on the house or something. Not in, in even the, in not even in the colorized version. No, <laughs> blows me away. Hey, who, whoever colorized it, you had one job. You failed. <laughs> 
Literally. Yeah, it is really weird. Maybe this is the one thing we haven't discussed as a possibility. Maybe the people who lived in the house, their last name was Red. Oh, that's it. That's true. It's the Red House. <laughs> no, no, I was, I, it was interesting because it's such an evocative title, right? Yeah. The Red House. And you immediately, in your mind, you immediately know what the Red House looks like. What It looks different to every one of us in our heads, but you immediately know. And then when they do actually find the Red House, even in the black and white version, you're kind of looking at it going, that doesn't really look red. No, no. <laughs> Speaking of evocative, have you looked at any of the movie posters for this film? No, I've totally been shirking my duty. (laughs) I only mention it because most of them have a regular sultry looking, I'm guessing supposed to be Tibby. (laughs) Oh, so, okay. I have seen the one with Edward G. Robinson on it. And then, oh, and then Tibby, like, 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 what's the guy's name from Seinfeld? (laughs) A Dipple and a George. (laughs) An Ian Malcolm pose. (laughs) I I saw that poster today, and I was thinking, that's that's not in this film. That is not the film that we watched (laughs) at all. That, yeah. And and the really funny part, the little catch line on it, it says, she belongs to me. And it looks like it's Edward G. Robinson saying... Julie London belongs to me, but yeah, definitely not. No, but I not. guess that's what got people in the seats there. <laughs> I mean, once you're in the seats, you stay, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't think you'd walk out of that going, wow, that wasn't what I was expecting. <laughs> no, definitely you might go, wow, that wasn't what I was expecting, but I don't think it'd be a disappointment per se. So yeah, these thanks. Now, I, now you've totally bunny trailed me right into a whole bunch of posters. <laughs> I'm just going to shut that window right down. <laughs> no, no, that I, is just, really I had to bring that one up because, I mean, we've definitely seen some posters that are <laughs> We've seen that so many times, misleading right? a little bit, yes. but this one in particular for the <laughs> that, subject matter of this, this film. This is more like the red light. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this poster would work better for Scarlet Street than the poster for Scarlet Street. Yes! Oh, that's hilarious. Wow. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Should we go ahead and put some ratings on this mm. one? Or do you have anything was, else no, you wanted to mention? No, I was literally about to say, I do want to mention that this was written and directed both by Delmer Dave, uh, Daves. And Delmer Daves wrote Love Story, which became an affair to remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has to be mentioned. He directed the original 310 to Yuma. Um, he, there, there's, uh, he's got this list of interesting interesting uh titles in here that i recommend looking into and and i'm really excited to see more of his direction because i i think this movie is exceptionally well directed i I really do want to say i read that this was like the first film like this that he directed i would believe that Uh, his first sort of like dark noir film mm -hmm. and that's yeah, pretty impressive if this is truly the first film of this genre that he directs and he, he comes away with something like this is yeah. it's impressive. Certainly, yeah, it certainly looks like it. And just looking real briefly at his credits, I don't see anything else that looks like it's probably this along these lines. Right. But um but no, I think I think it'll be a lot of fun to to poke around and see what else I can find by him. I, I do think that this movie had it, this movie's really weird. It starts off with a narration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was very strange. Dense forest once covered all of Piney Ridge, but no longer is the region a mystery. 
Modern highways have penetrated the darkness and brought in the light. Not so in Oxhead Woods, further south. Step into it off the abandoned road that hugs its length and it's like passing through a wall and closing the door behind you. Obsolete trails wander vaguely, crisscross or break at right angles for no reason. Only one leads to the Morgan farm. Pete Morgan's farm has the allure of a walled castle that everybody knows about, but few have entered. Its only access to the outside world is a country road that passes by. Some miles north connects with a highway near the Renton farm. Joe Renton, like the other farmers hereabouts, is up and coming. Raises good apples. Fine soil everywhere in the valley. The young people for miles around come to the high school. The boys graduate a little older than those in the city. That's because they take time out for planting and helping with the harvest. They're a healthy lot. And girls don't come prettier any place. It starts off with a 1940s educational program narration, and you go, oh, this is one of those. This is a day at the fair. Yes, <laughs> yes. What are feelings? <laughs> no, yeah. make it in. A date with your family. Uh, yeah. Yes, right. How to ask it. Yeah, it, yes, yes. So um, it, it. I'm so pleased that it didn't stay in that vein. No, no. <laughs> Uh, yeah, voice it, it just sets the stage a little bit. And I think it almost, it's almost like it tries to give an excuse that if you think the kids maybe look a little older than they should. Because <laughs> it, it, it does have that line about the, the... The boys graduate a little later than they do in the city because they take time off to help with the chores and the it, Yeah, harvest. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is interesting. It felt unnecessary to me. Yes. No, I don't think we needed the little uh, scene-setting narration at the beginning. It really wasn't necessary. <laughs> I, think, I think they say now that uh, any any narration is unnecessary in film these days. I think that's the new rule. Not even a new rule. I think that's been a rule for quite a while. Uh, if voiceover in general is just not necessary. But, um, yeah, that, I think that's the only, the, the only major drawback to me on this film. There were a, there are a couple of things about it um, that I won't get into out of deference to not spoiling the ending, where I would have been happy for it to go a little differently, mm. just to be a little more surprising. Okay. Um, and and if we want to rate it and then talk about that, I think that would let people turn it off after they hear our ratings, and then we can still talk about what, all the things that disappointed me. Okay, no, I, that, let's do that. Let's, let's put some ratings, and then we'll do like a sort of uh, go no further if you don't want to yes. be spoiled section. Yes. And because there, there, there is just one or two things I'd love to talk about, too, towards yeah. the end. Yeah, so. if you have not watched it yet, it's okay. Go ahead and listen to our ratings, and then do turn it off. You do not want this to be spoiled for you before you watch it. So no, just, absolutely not. There's your warning. Uh, do you want to go ahead and rate first? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd, be, uh, I'd be happy to give this one a four. Just because it uh, it just ended up surprising me throughout. Again, like you, I, I, I didn't have any expectations going in. All my expectations were sort of, as I was watching the film, going, oh, this is the way it's going to go. And then, oh, no, no, that's that's not the way this is going to go. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't the kind of like, oh, it's going to be one of these or... It wasn't disappointing to me that it wasn't going in that direction. Mm -hmm. You know, it constantly went in like what I would consider the right direction. Mm -hmm. 
and it became this really great little taut mystery. And yeah, I, I really appreciate it. I think the acting in it is really phenomenal. I can't think of anyone that I would really say was like the weakest out of them. I mean, they all did their, their jobs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean phrase. even the, even the no, weakest I mean, among them. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> our our main stars, I think, all did really well. It, Teller was sort of, I mean, come on, it he wasn't asked to do much, mm-hmm. but what he was asked to do, he was perfect for the role. Yes, yes. But it wasn't like oh, no one else could have been Teller or anything right, like that. Right, right. Yeah, I can see that. I I feel like the main. It, it is kind of funny. It does feel like for me. All of the kids are that way. It's not that nobody else could have played these kids. Right. But they do a good job at it. They mm-hmm. are very good at it. They're very, um, they really, they do draw you in. I think part, it's really interesting. For me, starting off, I did not like Meg. I was like, ugh, what a Mary Sue. Is that what the right name? I think they call Mary Sue's. Anyway, she was just the, just too sweet, you know. And, uh, and just like mooning over Nate and, and it just was, it just was like, man, they're setting this up too hard. But then once it starts rolling and you start seeing her situation and you start seeing who her family is, it, it really picked up for me or she drew me in, you know, and of course we've already talked about that one scene that I really appreciated. I would love to give this a five. I really want to. I kind of am having to argue myself out of it. There are just a couple of drawbacks to it for me. Um, you know, I can't, I, I have to admit the voiceover is definitely a drawback for me. I did mention that there are just one or two things that I would have liked to see a little bit different. But the fact is, I think the direction in this movie is, it's a masterclass. I think that for what this story is, and it could have very easily been a run-of-the-mill film noir, if there is such a thing. I think there is. I think there are film noir that try to be shocking and chilling and just don't quite ever get there. And this is really, if you think about it, this is the old, like the oldest story in the book. And they make it interesting and unnerving and just the the they literally make a story about a family on a farm chilling <laughs> without anybody ever breaking through the door with an axe right right i was gonna say without cannibalism yeah. right without cannibalism <laughs> it's amazing and so i i i'm torn i think i'm gonna give it i think i'm gonna give it a four and a half okay because i don't think it's perfect but i think that if you can if you could take one step and it become perfect, I think that's this movie. And so I want to give it four and a half because I just... Perfect. It, I think it's so good. I think that there's... I think that even if you hate everybody in it, it's worth watching it for the direction, the complexity of the story. Um, of course, Edward G. Robinson and Judith Anderson in this are... mind. They're just mind-blowing. They're so excellent. Um and I think that they there's it does such a good job of of showing the complexity of human relationships, and that's all anybody ever looks for in a story. Everything else is just fluff and icing. So, that's my reading. With that, let's go ahead and this is this is yeah. If you've not watched this film, you do not want it to be spoiled. Turn off the podcast and uh, and go watch the film. Come back. We'll 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 be here when you get back. Yes. 
Definitely. So yeah, final warning. Okay, spoil. So what? <laughs> what did you want to? You said you wanted. You would have liked to have seen a, a, a little different direction. What? What did you want to see it happen? Uh, okay, so as as we all know, because now everybody that's still with us has watched the movie. <laughs> yeah. It turns out that Meg is the daughter of Pete's old high school flame, who married the yucky guy, and then for su- some somehow ended up being killed and they start off and it sounds like the husband killed Janie. We find out the mother was Janie. Jeannie. Jeannie. Thank you. Sorry mm-hmm. about that. We find out that, that it sounds like the husband killed Jeannie and Pete is saying, why did she have to scream? If she just hadn't screamed, it wouldn't have happened. Right. Sounds like Pete and Jeannie were hiding and the husband found them. And and we find out eventually that that is what happened in Pete's head, right? In Pete's head, that's what happened. A little bit. In reality, he killed her, and yes. then he killed the husband, right? Right. Because, quote, it was the husband's fault. I don't know that we ever know what the husband's name was. We probably do, but I didn't catch it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't recall. I yeah. think um, Jeannie and her husband were going to move away. Yes, Yes, and they told everyone they were going to move away, and that w- that kind of helped the uh, the story. That helped Pete in the end. They were going to move away. Pete went to her, and I think it was a case where yet yeah, he was still in love with her, mm-hmm. and I think he had some some notion delusion. that she's <laughs> yeah. yeah some delusion that she still had feelings for him, mm-hmm. and he was trying to convince her to stay. But he does say at one point she kept calling. And I think he's saying she kept calling him on the phone. She kept reaching out to him. Mm, I don't remember that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the confusion points, I think, in the movie is it could have been she kept calling out to the husband and then she screamed. Or it could have been that she kept calling him and so he went to her because they were good friends. But he could also just be a delusional maniac and they could not have been very good friends, right? Whatever the events were, we only have his side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to- and for me, the thing that soured it was when he decided that Meg was Jeannie. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I would have loved him to have looked at her and not had the mental break and still have been in his right mind and looked at her and said, like, all the things he still said, but without going quite to the creepy side of it. (laughs) Because that, to me, is even more sinister. Saying, to look at a young girl and say, I am literally going to keep you from ever being with anybody else, even though I know you're not the woman I love. You're stuck with me, and I'm never letting you go. It's, um... As opposed to him being like, oh, I'm I'm 20 again, and you're the girl I love, and why don't you just come with me? It's It makes him a pathetic character instead of a sympathetic character. Mm. And so that was the sour note for me, is I would really like have liked him to have been in his right mind. And to have made the decision to kill them in his right mind. I know that they couldn't do that with this movie, though, right? They couldn't, I think the code wouldn't have allowed it. I'm not sure the code wouldn't have allowed it, but I get the feeling that they would have argued, no, he's lived a long, happy life having murdered two people. He has to be a crazy person. Right. But yeah, I just, I feel like it's more sinister to know that the person whose life you are 
clinging to and not allowing to live it, that you're doing it intentionally rather than doing it from some kind of a mental break. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you definitely get the feeling that, um, He's gone back. Now that he's back in the house, he has completely snapped. I think he, yes. they even do a little trick with the light. Yeah. There's a shadow across his face, and that shadow suddenly disappears, and his face almost yes. sort of lightens and, and, and loosens like he's suddenly happy or something. Mm-hmm. And he looks around, and I, again, I, I thought they were going to do some you know, trick of uh, camera or whatever, and suddenly the house was going to be immaculate and everything, and that we're going to mm-hmm. see things through his own eyes and like as if it were back in you know 15 years ago Mm -hmm. Uh, i had to back it up because i looked away when they did that and i thought they had made it immaculate because it looked like in really good condition for 15 years of nobody walking into it right (laughs) yeah it was definitely the cleanest abandoned home i've ever seen (laughs) exactly he wasn't seeing meg at all at that point Mm -hmm. he was seeing genie again Yeah, so he he had snaps. So yeah, I don't know. It I think it would make it. It would definitely make it quite a bit darker had mm-hmm. he still been seeing Meg mm-hmm. and still deciding to to take that action. Yeah. Well, even saying like even not saying hey I'm gonna marry you or any of the other horrible things that they would put in modern movies and I'm glad they didn't put in this movie. But um, you know, forcing himself on her or anything like that. Even just right. saying. I know I'm too old for you, but you're going to stay with me, period. Like, that is horribly creepy. Or even a line you could even kind of um, maybe kind of walk the line and kind of have it both ways where he, he, you could still have him being a bit delusional going, Jeannie left me, but you never will. Or even, you know, hey, Jeannie, like, yeah, they're just are, they're just the the mental snap for me. The mental break for me is it's a ploy, it's a, it's a, an easy out. Mm-hmm. And so, and, but you know, we are talking about a movie from, you know, the 1940s and deal, you know, psychological progress and psychological <laughs> nuance is there. It's different now than it used to be. So it just is like, if I were going to make it, if I were going to make it a five-star perfect movie, it would be that. Uh, if I were going to rate it that way, that's what I would be looking for. I would no no voiceover, (laughs) and he would not actually have a full mental break. He would be knowing what he was doing because that's so much more sinister. Neither one of us have read the novel that which it's based on either, and I wonder. I'm really curious which direction the novel took at that moment. Let's pull it up. I'm going to read the last chapter. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, but it is such an interesting question. I Now I really want to read it. Now I want to find out. Okay. I almost feel like this would be a better novel than it is a movie. And it's a really good movie. Mm. Be very yeah. interesting to read and, and then see what, what changed, what direction they took, what uh, other direction they may have taken. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that would be interesting too. So if any of you have actually read this book, <laughs> if you're if you're that dedicated of a listener, and I wish I were, I wish I had, uh, I wish that I had all the time to just go in and do, you know, weeks of research on everything that we talk about here. Super deep dives. Right? Yeah, yeah. If I just didn't have a job, guys, <laughs> these would be such interesting podcasts. But no, I'd love to hear if anybody else has had the chance to look into that book. Um, Gosh, if your library has it, <laughs> I, I 
I don't think it's old enough for Gutenberg yet, guys, but... Uh, I, I may try to look it up and see if I can find it from my library. Yeah. yeah. Do, do an interlibrary loan or something like yeah. that. It's yeah. got to be somewhere in Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> be really... I'm between Ohio and Missouri, we got to be able to find it somewhere. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> but yeah. So anything else you wanted to add? I, I just wanted to mention the uh, the final scenes of Edgar, Edgar G. Robinson. Yes. I'm amazed that this man, I, I don't think there's any other way it could have been done, but the man did his own stunt. Mm-hmm. That blew me away. Really? Really? Uh, he drives the truck into that river, and the camera is looking down at this truck as it's sinking into the muck. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, that's, that's Edward G. Robinson. You mm-hmm. see his face. Mm-hmm. The, the truck is sinking. The water is rising. Mm-hmm. That's him in the cab of this truck. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. No, and I <laughs> There's I no thought, way in hell that that would happen in today's <laughs> no, films. There, and there's a tight shot, and you can tell that he's sitting still, and they're raising the water level in the tight shot. Right. And even then, though, I thought, this is really interesting that he... He was committed to his craft. He's oh, literally yeah. sitting there, and it's probably not super warm water. In that time, <laughs> maybe it was, but probably not. He is sitting here fully clothed in the front of a truck, and the water level is rising up and approaching his chin, and he's just got that fixed look on his face. Even that, even knowing how it's done, I thought, wow, that's, you know, we we see so many endings in this era of movie where it's a shadow off a cliff in a Wilhelm scream. And so this is pretty intense. And yes, mm-hmm. I, I also, I didn't, I didn't think about that being him doing the stunt, but now that you've said it, I have to watch that scene again. I don't think it's, it could be anything else. I mean, cause his face, they keep his face well lit and everything. I'm, like, I didn't think that about, um, about uh, Meg climbing out of her window and down that tree. I actually thought, I wonder if that's really her climbing down that tree. Today, you couldn't get away with it. I mean, or they'd have guidelines. And I, I was trying to remember, did she actually climb down the tree? She does. Oh, okay. She does, and it shows um, Nath climb up the tree. I remember Nath climbing up the yeah. tree. Yeah, no, she comes down, because I remember, because she climbed out of her window in a skirt, and I thought, she was wearing pants the last time they went out looking in the woods. I'd be wearing pants. Yeah, you think. <laughs> and then, yeah, she's got those 1940 shoes with the lifts on the back of them, and she's climbing down a tree, and I thought, wow, wow. <laughs> and I assumed that it was her, but yeah, that's, yeah, a, that's no, a really good likely. point. Yeah, it's a really good point. It's just, it, it just blew me away. I was like, wow, that is, that is commitment from an actor right yeah. there. Yeah. I, I, how easily that could have turned south and Edgar G. Robinson's final film appearance. <laughs> you know, yes. Because yeah. he died. Yeah. Died doing a stunt. They're like, we're going to film this last in the movie. That way we can get the realism if you do die. <laughs> oh, I, I'm thinking that was probably the case anyway. Yeah. yeah. For that very reason. Yeah. 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 Well, man, great point. Um, and yeah, so I guess cumulatively we're at four and a quarter stars on this one. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very interesting film. It is definitely, uh, there is so much in this film that is of its time, yeah. but it's still very interesting. There is a, a kiss between a mother and son. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that too. And the line that came to mind was from Sabrina, the one with Harrison Ford, where mm-hmm. the, uh, the fiance's, 
dad says, I have a sister. That's not how we dance. (laughs) 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 And I thought that that was a heck of a kiss. Yeah. Hmm. I, I don't remember kissing my mom like that either, ever. He's he's essentially saying goodbye to her. Like, right. really saying goodbye. It was a little bit of a long lip kiss. Yes, it was. Um, I, I almost went in a really bad direction with that comment, guys. But it was, it was I was going to make a comment about, never mind. I'm gonna just, we're just cruising my past, guys. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. It's not as bad as you're imagining, but it was bad enough. So, <laughs> yeah, no, there definitely are a couple of things in this. There, uh, One thing that, you, this is, guys, you're going to, it's getting late. I'm going to be just blunt here with you. These girls are skinny. <laughs> I mean, eat a cheeseburger. when they have their when they have their shirts tied around their waist and everything it's like yeah even yeah when i mean uh julie london gets off the school bus and her like she looks like you could just snap her in half and i was thinking i mean i get that that meg is 15 and you know yes you know we're we're thinner when we're younger but gosh it it seemed like everybody in this movie was just a, a little stick figure yeah they were yep Especially for especially you know farm girls, aren't they supposed to be of sturdier stock? I would think that too. I know, and 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 Meg's little run, and I thought I don't, I wonder if they're trying to make her look like a child, or if that's really how she runs because she ran like a child. <laughs> anyway, all right, that's enough of that. That's enough of that jawing. Yes. Yep, I think that's going to do it for the Red House. Definitely go check out this film. Yes. It, it, even though if you've listened this far and you haven't watched it and we have spoiled the heck out of it, <laughs> it, it I still think it's worth going and, and watching and, yeah. and seeing it all for yourself. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's it's a movie worth picking up. And I think it's worth looking up some more of the director, too. Uh, you know, If you haven't seen Love Story, I know oh. we loved it. We really um, enjoyed that. Yeah, it's and it's phenomenal. And if you've seen an affair to remember, and you think, "Oh, I've already seen it," you haven't. Nope. nope. Watch, watch the love story. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think that does it for us. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, with that, we'll just say uh, I'll say Lydia, thank you very much for you know stopping by and talking about this film. <laughs> thank you for inviting me. I love it. <laughs> and thank everybody for listening. It's always a pleasure. Uh, we'll be back in a month with another film. Until then, uh, feel free to follow the link in the show notes. Again, to all our social media or in, in our email, send us some recommendations if you have any. And it will be really great to hear from you, no matter, even if you just want to shoot the breeze a little bit. We'll be happy to, <laughs> we'd, be, we'd be happy to hear from you. Yeah. That's going to do it. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs>